0: Thank you for tuning in to the Relentless Pursuit podcast, the foundation of equity, where our Kansans have justice centered dialogues promote the equilibrium of humanity. In the Natural State and Beyond, I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer, Native Arkansan artist, activist, poet. You can always find me in the digital space at crystalcmercer.com and on social media at c-c-n-e-r-c-e-r-t-o-o. And a special thanks to our seasoned sponsor and the reason we've all assembled to have these deeper dives, the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, WRF, who exists to relentlessly pursue economic, educational, social, ethnic, and racial equality for all Arkansans. Ain't that all right? You can connect with them at WR Foundation and on social media at Winthrop Rockefeller Found on IG and WR Found on FB. This episode, like all others, we're talking from folks from all over the state about their draw to or passion for equity work. Which brings me to our guest today, Judith A. Yanis. Yes, who is the founder and executive director of A Rooted Northwest Arkansas. Hello, Judith. Cece, thank you for having me here.
1: You are so welcome.
0: I'm feeling, I just want everybody to know before we go any further, before we get into any of these questions, before I give the people something about you, there is the love between us. The spirit is moving and working through us. So I just need y'all to know if you're feeling something deep from within, it's definitely being felt here. Got to put that out there. So I'm going to give the people just for a minute a little bit of insight about you, but uh, you're here to tell your story. But in addition to your work with Rooted NWA, uh, Judith is also one of the few Latina elected officials in the history of Arkansas. You served as Justice of the Peace for District 4 and you earned a Bachelor's of Arts in Mathematics and a Master of Arts in Teaching from the University of Arkansas, all while being a single mother, which is so intricate And a part of your story. It feels like family, community, access to education are guiding pillars and I can't wait for people to hear more. So welcome again, Judith.
1: Thank you so much. And I think the other piece is modeling, right? Mm -hmm. The, The part of equity we don't talk about is we have to model and others have to see themselves in someone else's story to be able to see and dream something beyond the oppression
0: can you say that again?
1: Like, I don't know if I could say that again, because <laughs> that just came from yes. my heart, but it's, I think that's the part that I take so um, faithfully is being a model and inspiring. And yes. I didn't, I didn't realize I was that before, but now as I look back, I'm like, oh, if we don't want to have someone modeling to us and being vulnerable and transparent with their journey, um, we will never know what it's like to get out of cycles and oppression.
0: Ashe, I, I'm definitely interested about your work with Rooted NWA, but I want you to take us back. Uh, like, who modeled this for you in the beginning of your story? I know that that you've had quite the journey to the natural state. So maybe some models in your life and, and what brought you here to Arkansas?
1: Right. I don't know if I had models, but I will tell you this by my fascination with education. Uh, My dad never went to school, uh, and my mom went to third grade. But if I tell you who I am right now, it would be the curiosity that I have for the world that came from my parents. Uh, Dad was always planning, telling us about plants, animals, Discovery Channel in the 80s, right? It was like (laughs) on TV all the time. And so then he would take us fishing so he can get food, but we would watch the tides. And so we would connect what we saw on TV with what was happening around us. And he didn't have an education. So it was all natural, lived experience stuff. And mom was the same way. And so they modeled to me what it's like to be a human learning with Mm -hmm. curiosity which it's interesting because education fails to teach us that. Mm. And, and they were my models of what it's like to fail, persevere, you know, like you told me a little bit about your father um, and his struggles being the the, the third, uh, the third. third, Yes. And so my parents, Oh, you know, like they were the, some of the first Latino business owners here in Northwest Arkansas And the racism that they had to face uh, that I had to see. And so they were models. And I I don't like the word resilience because it just like it has so much meaning behind it. But they were models of perseverance. Mm. Mm -hmm. Perseverance, taking the punches to build something for future generations.
0: So many punches. And y'all, just so y'all are clear, uh, Judith and I had an an offline conversation before we came on in reference to my magnificent father, the late Mm -hmm. attorney Christopher C. Mercer, Jr., who is a part of what is referred to as the Six Pioneers. And they were the first six African-American law students at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville School of Law. It was rough. I mean, my dad had glass Coke bottles thrown in his head. He couldn't be on campus after sunset. Uh, he had to live off campus. Couldn't even live on campus. And just thinking about uh, the the perseverance, the endurance, the resolve of our parents and those who came before. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that like you were able to see the world not only through them, but it fed your curiosity as well. And I'm sure that contributed to who you were as an educator. And I want to know if you can tell the people how that came about you going into education.
1: Um, I think I would receive the feedback, but sometimes when you're not validated as a child, people start telling you, oh my God, you would be a great teacher. You're great at teaching me. And so of course, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. And I went back to be a math teacher. And let me let, let this is a very difficult path mm-hmm. to take to be a math major as a single mom. But I went back because I attended in Los Angeles, a school that failed me. I was amazing at math, but I got stuck in the corner because I was good at math. And this was a failing school. So I had to learn from a book. And from there, I just you know lost my ability to do math. And so when I went to school, I didn't want to go back to do something that I was really good at. I wanted to understand the struggle my students would face. And so that's why I chose math um, to regain my skills that I lost. Uh, it was not easy. My GPA is not pretty. But that's why I became that math teacher. And when I went into the classroom, I faced a lot of, whoa, just thinking of my first year, they gave me uh, a SPED class and an ESL class, which are the hardest classes to teach for a first year teacher. And you don't know what you're doing. And I think it was that time that I realized what the education system's doing is we're going to take care of the brightest students. um, And then we're going to give the new teacher the, you know, like the ones that need the most support where that new teacher does not have the skill set to do that. Mm. And so I had to build community with my students. And I'm like, not only am I trying not to fail you. But we have to build, build community because we're in this together right now. They don't believe I can do this. They don't believe you can do it. Let's show them. And yes. so these are kids that call themselves the mathletes. <laughs> they would come during lunch in the classroom to do math problems. Um, and at the end of the year, my test scores were equivalent to the teacher that had been teaching for a very long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's because we build communities saying they don't believe in any of us right now, you know? Um, And so that was my glimpse of teaching um, that I realized, and here's one thing where I failed my students. I called them my kids. Mm. They were not my children. They belonged to someone else's, a parent, right? And that's when I started realizing what are we doing with parents in this education system? We're taking their children. We're taking ownership of them. The kids that I had, we're setting them up to fail. You know, we're giving them the less experienced teacher here. And we're telling parents, oh, these are our kids. We're doing everything. We're not communicating with you what we're doing. And you're going to come to a parent-teacher conference and not know what to ask for.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And I was part of the issue. Because Mm -hmm. I was never trained how to have strong relationships with parents of which these children belong to.
0: You and I have a a similar through line. I taught school only for a year. I was in Baltimore, Maryland. I taught theater arts and really valued that relationship I had with the kids. I was the fun teacher because it's theater class, right? You get to act and play and learn. But my my kids had contracts. (laughs) If you were going to be in a show, they had to sign. Their parents had to sign. I had to sign. But something that you bring up, being a first-year teacher, what I experienced was how inexperienced I was to handle some of the IEP, the 504, some of the accommodations that I was striving for to touch all of these students, but it's like you're either over here isolated or you're among what is considered the brightest because everybody shines in their own way, right? But you're navigating that uh in, in the classroom. And I had, you know, anywhere between 25 to 35 students at one time, kindergarten through fourth grade. Um, and and I had to learn as well because I felt that same um closeness. I felt that same ownership because some of the other adults that I worked with were really cruel to the students and would make fun of things that they didn't know. And I thought that's what we were there to help them learn or to teach them and more of an indoctrination to get them ready for testing than education. So I really resonate with what you said about like Where where is the relationship with the parent, which I did begin to develop and have. And I feel like that's a part of your work with with Rooted NWA about advocating for parents being able to have a voice for their children's education.
1: And most importantly, we talk about education, but we don't talk about learning. Mm. And this is uh, working in this um, realm for the, the last six years is. We don't understand how people learn. And so when parents show up at a parent-teacher conference, they don't know what to ask. They don't know their child's process of learning. And so it's become distorted. Education has been distorted is where does a, a parent begin? Where does a school begin? Like those boundaries are not clear. And like recently, I've started asking per, parents, what's a problem? Um, what is the purpose of a school? And they had to sit there and go, no one's ever asked us this question. And so, what what is your role then in this? If you know you don't understand mm-hmm. what the the purpose of a school is, what is your role in this? And it's like taking my kid to school.
0: Mm, there's got to be more roles,
1: <laughs> no, right? More, yes. more definition, more yes. roles, more understandings, and and i you went to a teacher prep we're not even defining this you know uh, what what are the boundaries of a no. parent or a teacher um none of this is defined and it's really opened my eyes to go what are we doing here and how do we change this mm-hmm. so for me that was
0: 2011 2012 i moved back home to take care of my father before he passed so you're thinking about you know for me 10 years ago and you're in this work. So what are some of the things that Rooted NWA is doing to help define what these roles are and who's modeling what to be advocates for learning in education?
1: Thank you for saying learning. Uh, One of the things here, and this is where I take my stand, families that are in poverty, oppression, these generational cycles uh, that need to be broken, Sometimes don't know what a safe space is. They've never felt that they had a voice. They've never felt that they've been seen. And so the first thing that we do is we provide this space. And you know, this word trauma-informed is usually thrown out there, like everything's trauma-informed. No, we like. I actually do my work to ensure that I'm not recycling the trauma in my community. I'm holding myself accountable. And then I'm every moment at every time how is this going to impact a family? If I say this, how is this going to shut down a family? And having that space where families are able to be self aware and have those very vulnerable and transparent conversations that just triggered me. And I don't know why.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm shutting down and I don't know why because if kids or families don't have that space how can they hold schools accountable how can they hold learning spaces accountable how do they know what's um what their children need to feel safe learning does not happen unless children feel safe and that has to be modeled for parents so that's that's the biggest thing that Oftentimes, we don't focus in, in the work of education. Now, what I love most is that this year, I was able to start a cohort of parents of 10 moms that were going in deep. We're understanding what's happening with your kid. Let's pull all the records. Let's let's figure out what these records are saying. Where are you lost? How can we get an expert to come talk to you to explain this? what's going on here? Your child has an IEP. Let's pull all those records. What was never communicated to you? Is your child receiving therapy? Let's pull those records. What was never communicated with you? Let's get a clear picture of what information do we have in front. Now, what is your vision for your child and their future? What do you envision them doing? Beautiful vision. What are the resources that you need? For your child to be able to meet that vision that you have. We're giving the power back to the parent of going, here's, and having a conversation with the teacher too, going, here's my vision for my child's education. Can you support me with this? Do mm-hmm. you see how powerful and the shift that happens once a parent knows all this information and then can advocate from a place of generational legacy? is what it is for me. Yes. It's no longer survival. It's no longer, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to show up to a parent-teacher conference. It is now, no, I know myself. I know I'm self-aware. I know my child. How do we work together? And no one has the upper hand. The child is the center of that conversation now. Mm Mm-hmm. So for the next year, we're working deeply with those mamas. Um, we don't have the answer now. So in a year time, we can look back and connect dots. What worked? What didn't work? What solutions can we put in place? What programming can we put in place? Because usually decisions are being made for them, not with them.
0: Hmm.
1: And we're trying to change all that.
0: And I do love that it it is this child or children at the center and then this relationship where the parent and the educator comes together and we are fully supporting
1: the learning of that child and yeah. that the parent has a voice for that yes and has the questions and is able sometimes when we have trauma responses we freeze because someone else had the power over us at the time and so now it's like oh i understand what's happening with me Let me stop a moment or even say, you know what, I can't take this conversation right now. I need to come back and get my questions clear, Yeah, you know, so it's just like this, but unless there is a safe space, they can do that. They will never know what that feels like, or even know what that is. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what rooted is.
0: Judith, you speaking all the words into my life right now. I just want you to know that and the people out there listening uh, about this work that you're doing. And this is leading me to ask you, this ain't on my page. I know I ain't saying this is leading me to ask you a question because the way you framed the work that Rooted NWA does and how you're dismantling this barrier of being voiceless into releasing the voice of parents, everybody having a voice, and coming together for the children, that now it's, it's a legacy that's involved and it's not coming from a place of trauma. You're, you recycle your cans, don't recycle this trauma. How is this work that you're doing uh, contributing to dismantling generational curses and providing generational cures?
1: I had goosebumps when you asked that question. and That's such a beautiful question. Thank you. Uh, it's not one that we talk about, right? I, that's... Mm-hmm. I just will tell you, um, as a daughter of immigrant parents, I was the one that had to break those curses and stand in between two generations. Mm. And my kids are now doing that work with me. You know, we're doing it together. So future generations don't have to suffer. Um, and so it's, it's, it's such a deep question. And I'm sitting with it right now. Yeah. Because it's one that you really have to sit with it and go, give me a second. Mm -hmm. I primarily work with Latina immigrant moms. And I keep saying that education is separating families. Um, because parents no longer know how to support their kids because an education system takes over it. And then they feel incompetent. Um, And there's this part of the social emotional learning that our parents often can't support us with because the maturity level, Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't receive the help. And so whichever one generation starts doing it, it is tough work it is yeah. tough never ending work and for me if a parent can start doing this for their for themselves if they can start then it'll be easier for their child because then they can do it together
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the child might advance faster than the parent um it's often the time what i'm seeing right now and they're waiting for their parent to catch up. Um, but just the fact that a parent is caring enough to start the work doesn't leave it all on the shoulders of a child. Yeah. And here's the beautiful thing, CC, with this. As this group of mother are working together, they're building a community to support each other with that work. And so then their children are learning how to build community with each other, with other people to support each other. That gets so ingrained in your genes that we talk about, like the traumas in your genes, that it's like a ripple effect, not only with that family system, but with the society. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's beautiful to watch. And it's interestingly enough, when you ask that question, my mind, and I think that's where I got stuck, went into the dark part of what it's like to break cycles. The really heavy, dark stuff that we often don't want to go into.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And this is why we don't break those cycles. But what I've noticed with these mamas is when they become curious, oh, wait, what's happening? Why did that happen to me? Wait, why am I behaving that way? There's a sense of curiosity that kicks in and the sense of not being afraid to fail. That I think for me, two things that our education system is taking away from our kids because we don't want to fail and something happens to our curiosity which those two things are needed to break these cycles.
0: Agreed. I'm thinking about this question all the time. Um, Maybe it hasn't manifested in that way, uh, us speaking today. So I'm glad that we are having this conversation, but those are the words I've been trying to figure out.
1: And here's the thing, I could answer that question for myself and I could go in there and tell you, I know what I've broken. I know what I've had to sit with. It's hard to answer that question for a society or people outside of you, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it does. We are as connected as we are individual. So we we're seeking these answers as we're moving through our our own life, our own fleshy avatar, our own spirit, our our own ancestors, but then also. How is that in relationship to everyone else we're going to meet and touch and connect and collaborate with on this journey?
1: And the thing is, as I've healed, the people around me have changed. Mm. And so they become more aligned to the version that I am currently. And so I've noticed, you know, people disappear or people are no longer in my life. And I think of these mothers and I see that same pattern. Uh, You no longer fit in places. And so when it comes to Rooted, we have to be constantly evolving and not stagnant because that means as an organization, we're healing and we're breaking those. Right. So uh, Rooted is like a person, too, that
0: Mm -hmm. brings
1: other people together.
0: So you are you are healing through learning in this work feels like this this Luna learning circle. I just see like all the mamas sitting in a circle having this conversation, like really getting to it. I'm I'm curious, Judith, so you said you just started this, of course, I imagine it's going through the school year to support the year of learning for the child, the children in the home. Is this something that Rudy NWA
1: anticipates continuing through the years? Oh, definitely. The thing is, I don't have the answer of how that looks like. And I'm just grateful for the funder that again, the Walton family foundation to have given that space Mm. to not that I need to figure it out that I can work with the moms to figure it out. Yeah. And it's beautiful to see the light bulbs like, oh, I get this now. And I'm like, yes, I'm no longer having to lead this work. Now I have a community of women that are getting it now. And like, we're working together to solve this issue. Um, So how it's going to look like, I don't know. Uh, I love not to have the answers and let it all unfold. Um, Just know that there is those that we're serving will be designing what it looks like.
0: That's beautiful. Well, know that I'm rooting for you. We're going to keep supporting that, being on the lookout for that work. And I'm just so fascinated with your approach because a lot of times it is you know what we tell you or this is all we have or just come to the meeting and you have 15 minutes and it's like my baby's in school for nine months how is this enough for me to be able going through day in and day out supporting their learning so I'm just really really fascinated with with the approach and the focus as well, because a lot of times in our Latinian communities and our black communities, we're often uh, discarded. We're often forgotten. Uh, We're often just put aside. We're often excavated for our knowledge and our talents and our abilities. And then once the optical illusion of being in partnership and allyship is gone, we're often, by ourselves again. So giving this space to really uplift community is also beautiful. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that some, Judith, because you talked about your parents and the work that they did, like having little to limited U.S. or what is thought of as education in terms of how we're expanding learning and then being able to break these cycles and do this work with these moms to support their families what does that feel like to be a person who heals
1: um the the word that comes to mind right now is triggers mm. um this work the last 6 years has been difficult for me because i come at it authentically but i call it the healing learning as i healed um, I was able to learn from that process. It, it's not easy, but I was able to learn. I see what's happening here. And that I was so vulnerable and transparent with that process that the moms would be seeing me. And then they would also give me feedback from that side. Uh, they have a saying that says, go screw up, mess up, F up, go, go Judith, <laughs> because you bring us back the wisdom. You bring us back what we need to know. And it's been exhausting, if I'm honest, because it's a constant trigger that I have to sometimes sit with and like, why am I being triggered here? Wait, is this for me or is this for the parent? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of our trauma comes from our parents not being able to know how to nurture us uh, and help us develop. So I'm seeing this constantly play out in front of me, which is constantly triggering to my body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the exhaustion. But then the beautiful way of learning from it too, so it's kind of like my mind and body are being used to produce wisdom.
0: Mm.
1: And in a nonprofit world, which was not built for us, child, (laughs) not at all. So I, I, when you ask me that question, it's it's not that it's hard to answer. It's just a sure many pieces of inequities that exist in the nonprofit world, and the space not to have the mental health support um, of the constantly being exhausted and triggered from this work, but still being able to provide a space for them that is not re-traumatizing them.
0: Hmm. That's what I'd be curious about uh, as your work deepens and thinking about my own work as an artist and activist is. Um, How we take care of ourselves in these times, because it is hard. Even if you own the up and up and you're like, I can stay positive and I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to be all the things to all the people and what everybody needs, because that is what is required of me. When the call came, I answered. I'm still on the phone. I'm still here working it out. Right. But like, there are, there are some moments where I do wish there was a bit of respite in this work uh, because it it is difficult. And I wonder if, you know, you can vision that or or have there been moments of respite in your work as you're being triggered, as you're being healed, as you're learning and approaching this in your community?
1: Yeah. And this is, six years of therapy work that I'm able to sit with this now. And plus I raised my kids as a single mom. Now I'm an empty nester. So mm. I, it, it's it's my time, you know, it is my time. But um, one of the things that I've learned to do, especially with the triggers is, is this a trigger that I could put on hold right now and go, give me a second. I'll come back to you later. Or is it a trigger that just triggered me so bad that I need to cancel my meetings for the day so I can have some space? Mm. But I right now I'm on a bandwagon. If it does not bring me joy, it is not for me. If it's not filling me up, it is not for me. Um that's where, and I have to model that for the moms too. And I have to model that for my daughter and my son because we're so conditioned to just work, 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 work. And that's another cycle that I had to break. I, I felt like Beyoncé right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's not Beyonce. Who is it? Work, 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 work. work. Oh, Rihanna. Yes. Thank you. I was like, (laughs) it's not Beyonce. Um,
0: Shout out Riri. Hey girl.
1: Yes. um, Yeah. No, you and and I have this conversation a lot with women. It's like, we have to model what's to put the brake and not be in such a rush uh, that we have to be so busy and last year I had to actually stop myself. And I actually took a six-week sabbatical mm. because I was like, I if I don't take this break, and that was told by my doctor and my therapist, there won't be no Judith left. And so I had to listen to that, but it really taught me to slow down. That was not easy. Yeah. Uh, and now I have to stop myself and have accountability people around me going, Hey, you haven't taken your three day days off Mm -hmm. because it's so hard to stop ourselves. But I also recognize that's from a place of privilege for me now. How dare I tell an immigrant mom that is, you know, making minimum wage slow down. And so it's it's even with the work now, it's a balance of where I'm not overpowering with the supposed the privilege that I have at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my mantras, Judith, is our joy is resistance too. So I'm just affirming you in the times that you are busy and in the times that you need a break, that all can be true for you. And I hope that in each corner of that, you do find the joy that you deserve.
1: At CC, I have a sticker on my computer that says joy as resistance, so.
0: Mm, Okay, see y'all, we in alignment. I don't even know what happened today, but I'm so glad it happened today. Woo, I have, we could really talk all day. I have a couple more questions for you, Judy, if that's okay. Uh, I'm having uh, just a lot of epiphanies. I can't say wonderful time. It is that, but I don't want it to be reductive. Like this is, a conversation that is verbalizing some ideas that I've I've had or questions I've had that I've been able to ask you so thank you and I'm also having uh these moments of these epiphanies and I'm I'm glad it's happening here in the natural state because this was a place that I ran away from and had to come back to uh in terms of my own healing so I'm just I'm thankful we're having this moment today um, so I have a couple more questions for you, if that's all right, Judith.
1: Yes, let's go.
0: And this is in terms of, you know, we've talked about education being one thing and framing it as learning. But something that's come up on on uh, nwa.org and some other things that I've read about you is that, you know, a part of this work, too with Rooted was your own navigation of the U.S. educational system, being a single mom with your kids. And I'm wondering if you can talk to the people, now you're nest empty nester, be free kids. But when they were there and you were, you know, a full-time educator, a full-time mom, you know, a full-time community member, leader, like activist, doing all these things that you were doing to support your family and support the people in your community. What was it like navigating all of that that led you to this work? I know you talked about the work, but like, oh, what got you to the point that said I need to help people do something about this?
1: So if I look back, I think a lot of it was trauma response of I was saving myself, but saving other people um, and the constant pursuit of survival mode of like, this injustice, and no, and my whole body would be triggered, and the angry Latina would come out, and it's like I need to protect these babies. But it, it, if I look back, it's a lot of the trauma response that I was trying to save myself, and I didn't see that at the moment. Um, this is why we have to be careful as community leaders to do our our own work, because then we're projecting that trauma onto others, and it becomes really, really biased. Um, but a lot of it is like both. Sorry, the wind just hit really hard out of nowhere. And I was like, wait, are we having a tornado or something? Like, uh, it freaked me out. We all cut that off. (laughs) Um, But a lot of it was, I did not know. Let me think through this one. Hold on, give me a second.
0: Of course.
1: So there's two things. So my daughter, it's a very light-skinned Latina. She was always funny but the girl spoke her mind all the time and so the feedback that i was always getting about her was i had no control over her and it was really interesting so i she taught me and my daughter taught me that uh i had to give her space to be vocal to say what she needed to get out of her mind because young ladies need to be controlled is what mm right yeah and then from my own experience with my son um which he's a brown boy was he was constantly in trouble with his creative mind creating scenes in front of him he would laugh out of nowhere and constantly in trouble for laughing in class or having conversations with his peers um dude is at usc cinematic schools thank you very much um studying studying cinematic arts So, there is something in me, deeply in me, that knew my kids um, needed a space to be, to make their own choices, to have their own ideas. I often felt like their mouthpiece because they would not listen to children. And I had to show up as a mom with this idea. They're like, oh, yes, yes, let's do this. Where my kid was the one with the idea. Mm. And so I quickly understood even from the legal system, that children don't have voices. And as parents, we're the one that are navigating these systems for them. And so it's based on our own perspective. Uh, But just seeing how the school systems were treating them and their intelligence, but also my limited understanding of my own education. I wanted something for them to have something more than I had, but I was only providing them what I had. Mm. And this is when school choice and education options came into play, where I put them in a charter school and an independent school. And I saw them flourish, 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 Um, where their education is way beyond what I ever received now. And so I'm in now having to catch up and they're helping me with it. Right. But it is navigating all this as a mom, as a mom that was born in the US, as a mom that speaks the language, that navigated the system, that I had issues supporting my children. Moms that don't speak the language weren't born here, didn't go to these systems. Where are they being left behind?
0: Mm.
1: And I think that's what drove me to say,
0: let me support this community. Does this is all make sense? It does. I'm like okay. it's it's resonating. Um I I'm I'm just taking in everything that you're saying about your experience. And I and I also was digging around on your IG. And I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. Even though I read Spanish better than I speak it. I grew up in Southwest Little Rock and like everybody spoke Spanish. Uh, (laughs) It's just like, yes, there are so many barriers. It could be language. It could be time. It could be you don't know what questions to ask. And it's like, how do we begin to break down those barriers? And seeing that and how they were treating your own children, which, which had to be frustrating or painful, or maybe even a challenge that you accepted gladly. Like, no, I, I, something is telling me different and I'm going with that.
1: Yeah. And, um, constantly educators imposing their perspective of what parenting should look like on my children. Um, and I remember when I chose a school for my kid and I asked them, how are they able to learn from their mistakes here? And they're like, we're all over that. We mm-hmm. are here to help them develop. And that's what sold me because most schools, kids are not able to learn from their mistakes.
0: Or even make them.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And and that became my question when I was asking schools to see if an environment was for my son.
0: Mm.
1: And it was seldom answered the way I needed to.
0: Judith, you out here doing the good work. You are out here in the streets tapping on my table. Note that picked up doing the good work. <laughs> Sorry for y'all up there the table tap was too loud. So, I, you know, six years in this game, I'm
1: sure there's work ahead. What's next? I don't know what's next. And people always ask, what's next? I think life puts the pieces together. And it gives you the next stepping stone. Hmm. Um, I just know the moms are taking over the work now of supporting other parents. And I want to support the kids. It's like, how can I create the most badass programming for children? And this is not just Latino children. To have experiences so they can see beyond the bubble that they live in. Yeah. What does that look like? I don't know. But I know that's where my heart is. It's like I miss working with the kids. Uh, Like, I don't want to go back into a school system. But how can I create a space where they're seen, they're heard, they have a voice, and they're able to communicate what's happening to them, but also give them the, the experience that they need to see life beyond what they were given. I think those are two factors for me um, that we often don't give children in settings or in homes, mm-hmm. you know, cause we often have to follow what our parents say and we don't have no say so, but I want to be able to give that to children. So it opens a world to them of curiosity. And I, I always say the universe opens up all this stuff that they swallow the world and the world doesn't swallow them. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm letting that sit for a spell because I always think about sometimes how hard it is to do this work in a world that constantly rejects me. And yet. I keep on. Because that's all that I can do.
1: But somehow we know to do that. Mm -hmm. And we had people like our parents and role models that we had that just supported us. And a lot of children don't have that. and give up. We both know that healing and cycle breaking is not easy. It's a constant every day of your life. Uh, there's moments of joy, but a lot of the times it's up and downs of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we never were modeled what to be seen, feel safe, loved, someone has your back, go on and go do the bravest thing you can do. Um, it's often hard and difficult for people to live the life of equity that we dream for them.
0: Yeah. Here's to us making space for that because Mm -hmm. I believe that it's possible even when it's hard. And I have to believe that because I have nieces and nephews. I want children one day. Uh, I work with a lot of young people and just even in the adult space, like we, we are truly one. And the closer we get to that, I think the closer we'll see this beautiful visioning that equity is possible and that healing is possible. Judith, you done blessed my soul today. I know I'm
1: sitting here, Cece, thank you.
0: (laughs) You are so welcome. You know, I, I just... I'm so full. I, I really, really, truly thank you, y'all. I'm over here. I'm just having my 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 deeply rooted NWA moment for my own self with Judith. Uh, I just I thank you for your time today. I thank you for your energy. I thank you for your work. I thank you for uh, your your will, your perseverance. This has just been amazing to learn about uh, just your journey. And the journey that is still being forged before you, it's been awesome. So for folks out there listening who want to know more about what you do with Rooted NWA, where can they find you in the digital space? Where can they find you in the world?
1: Feel free to follow us on Rooted NWA Facebook and Instagram. I think on Twitter, it's Rooted underscore NWA. Uh, Feel free to check us out. Uh, Send us a message if you need anything.
0: Beautiful. Y'all heard that. Do it. I have, I follow. There's a lot of good content. Uh, definitely lo- loads to learn as you're navigating that. And uh, before we end the show, Judith, we like to uh, end with a quote, a poem, words of encouragement uh, before we depart. Someone who is no doubt relentlessly pursuing something in their own heart. And today's feature comes from Drumroll You. I found something that you said that was simple and inspiring. And this came from a 2018 interview from Meet-A-Local with Finding NWA, where you were asked, what is the one thing that you can't go without? And you responded, a smile. And that deeply touched me. Y'all, we've shared so many smiles together today. You'll see some of them if you can't already hear it radiating in our voice but I just know that the the joy that we have whether it's in our respite or our resistance is working for the good and the brighter futures of those that we're uplifting so I'm just so 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 thankful for you Judith.
1: Thank you Sissy. and uh, those that are listening don't be afraid to fail. Hey
0: Aishe well don't be afraid to fail and smile while you're doing it get out there and do the bravest thing that you can do I want to thank y'all for tuning into the Relentless Pursuit podcast, the foundation of equity where Arkansans are having justice centered dialogue to promote the equilibrium of humanity in the natural state and beyond. We had a fabulous, wonderful, spiritual, deeply rooted time. Oh, siren's going off, (laughs) y'all. I'm getting the sirens. Look. The ancestors are speaking. All right, y'all. We had a great time and the ancestors are telling Judith and i to go gone and take cover. So I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer. Again, thank you to our season sponsor with the Rockefeller Foundation. And you can catch us on the next episode, hopefully under sunny skies. Peace.
1: (laughs) Bye.